This week on Pop of Culture, we'll meet a Jay County librarian. Another part is, is the fact that our circulation of our physical titles have gone down, like split in half, super drastic, and that's because of the digital age. Indiana's new poet laureate. It's just my life. And if you can't see my life, or if you don't want to see my life, then you have a problem. There are black people all around us. <laughs> you know, there are white, Latino, Asian, everything. And the third host of this show, me, Michelle Kinsey, coming up from IPR. Pop of Culture on IPR is made possible in part by the Indiana Arts Commission, the Community Foundation of Randolph County, the National Endowment for the Arts, and by Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations. From Indiana Public Radio, this is Pop of Culture. I'm Michelle Kinsey, and I am thrilled to join hosts Kara Duquette and Jennifer Blackmer on this weekly arts and culture adventure. And what an adventure we have for you today. For starters, I'll be doing this episode solo. Hey, it's the least I can do after being MIA for the first four shows, right? So let's jump right in with a novel conversation with Hannah Elliott, a librarian at Jay County Public Library. Hannah, tell us about what you do there at the library. Yeah, so I am the adult and teen services librarian. Um, and new this year, I've also added on becoming the supervisor of marketing and outreach. So I have a lot going on. Um, but basically what I do is I am in charge of all the programs for both adult and teen. I do some of the book ordering. I help with tech appointments. Um, if someone needs to come in and needs help with that. I also oversee the genealogy for our library, um, and then I've started doing the marketing for all of our social media, website, and being in charge of us going out to events to spread the word about our library. Um, wow, Hannah. Uh, when, one, <laughs> when one normally thinks of a librarian, a lot of those things don't normally come to mind, right? Uh, so being a librarian has changed, I'm thinking, over the last several years. Oh, yeah, it's it's a lot different even in the last five years. And for me, I am a go getter and an overachiever. So it's not necessarily normal for everyone to take on this much. It's a character <laughs> trait of mine. Um, and we're a smaller library. So that's also part of it. We aren't like we don't have multiple branches or anything. So it kind of falls on, you know, the staff that we do have. But yes, the library is constantly changing and we're having to kind of adapt to that change and we will for the future. So, Oh, sure. I think you have to to stay relevant, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why a librarian? Tell me, tell me a little bit about your journey. Oh, man. And it is a journey. Um, <laughs> so when I was a kid, you know, I wanted to be about five different things. I actually ended up teaching. I started teaching back in 2019 and then actually got injured. And so I quit teaching at that point. And so then, um, which I did work at the library in high school and I loved it. I've always been a bookworm. I grew up going to the library and that was kind of my safe place and something that was constant for me. Even when I was teaching, I was joking about how like my backup plan would be I would go back to the library. Well, that came to fruition. I went back to the library. I actually started at Muncie Public Library. Oh. Um, and there I just kind of did some of like the circulation stuff 
um, moved over to adult services there. And then I just felt like it was time for a new adventure. So I just really couldn't imagine doing anything else. That's kind of my why. And I love, I still get to do teaching stuff with people. And then I'm surrounded by books all day. What more could you want? Right. Uh, speaking of books and speaking of uh, the fact that you are a self-identified bookworm, as you are wandering through the library, are you the type of person that kind of looks for things based on others' recommendations? Are you just picking it up because the cover looks interesting? You're kind of reading the synopsis to see, oh, am I going to like this? Do you have to read the first couple pages to see if it hooks you? What kind of What kind of reader are you? I used to just read like whatever looked interesting cover wise. Yeah. Um, but since I now do this as my career, I do, I have started like taking recommendations, but some of those recommendations just aren't for me. I have started a rule where if I'm like 50 pages in and I just can't, then I let it go. Yes. Um, I am definitely attracted to book covers. I think that's the quickest way to get my attention and anyone's attention. And then I've started using Goodreads. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Or but man, I just love that because everyone I'm friends with um, will post and some of the books we want to read, they've read. And so it just makes it helpful because if they're like, no, I'm not feeling it, I'm probably not going to either. Yeah. And, and it's so great when you find people that are on are on the same kind of genre page with you, pun intended, uh, yes. that, you know, you know that you can take those recommendations and, and it makes it so much easier. What uh, what challenges uh, do libraries and I say that generally because I'm sure uh, a lot libraries are facing a lot of the same challenges these days. What are the challenges that that libraries are facing now? Oh, man. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on in the library field in general. Um, one of the most famous things going on right now is book challenges across the country. I feel pretty fortunate where I am now that I haven't really had a ton of book challenges. And I think part of that is just because our community is so supportive of us. That, That's great. Which is rare, like not the support, but the fact that we haven't really had to deal with a ton of stuff. And I mean, some things come up, but for the most part, it's not as bad as you're seeing like out in Texas mm -hmm. or um, other places. <laughs> Another part is, is the fact that our circulation of our physical titles have gone down, like split in half, super drastic. And that's because of the digital age, you know, and yeah. honestly, we kind of pinpointed it to COVID, whether it was streaming and our movie stuff is going down or Kindle, you know, reading like people have been paying for that. Mm -hmm. um, so that is definitely a big challenge because because we can't just open the doors and people come in anymore like they used to. Um, we're having to kind of adapt what our vision is and what our purpose is, which is not just having things to check out. Um, and that's where some of our other, you know, big programs and all that come into effect. And depending on where you are, I know funding can also be a pretty big issue. And it's just people want to cut it and mm -hmm. we need funding <laughs> to be able to continue doing all the amazing things we're trying to accomplish. So, yeah, that would be the main three that I see the most of where I'm at even. Yeah. Do you think the diversity of programs, I mean, just looking on your website, you've got an Easter egg hunt coming up, mental health <laughs> series, March yeah. Madness brackets. I mean, you name it, you have it going on. Do you feel that those programs are, A, bringing people through the doors and B, while they're there, uh, are you encouraging them to browse 
So I kind of have a formula <laughs> um, that I use. And basically, we're always trying to think of out-of-the-box programs that are just going to get people in the building. Yes. Um, and over in Jay County and Portland specifically, which is where our library is, there's just not a ton of like extracurricular, like social things to do in town right now. Um, and so we've kind of tried to be the hub for that. And so some of that that you're talking about that we are getting ready to do is really just an attempt to get people in the building so that they can see um, what all we have to offer because it's not just one thing. And so with like the March Madness and stuff, we also put up book displays near whatever it is we're doing. And then at programs like the mental health series that I've been doing, I actually will bring materials and stuff into those sessions and I do like an elevator pitch about, you know, we have these uh, resources and you can check them out with your library card and all that. And something we're working on developing also um, this year is some more social media content kind of showcasing the different things that we have because we do have more than books. So mm -hmm. it's definitely something we're constantly thinking about. And I love the that you mentioned that the library has transformed into a hub, a community hub. And I love that whole <laughs> idea because if you think Think about libraries when you were a kid, it was a very comfortable, friendly, safe, welcoming space. And it should yeah. be that way through your entire life, right? Absolutely. And, you know, not everyone is aware that we're changing what we're becoming. Um, and so that's something we're also trying to educate everyone on is like, it's not just about the books anymore. You know, we're trying to hit all of these needs that are in our communities Oh, yeah. Well, let's go back to the books and let's talk about the books that you just cannot keep on the shelves right now. What okay. are some of those books? <laughs> okay. So last year it was all Colleen Hoover. Like she went viral on Book Talk and we could not. We actually had to order extra copies just to keep the holds um, going because literally we could not keep her stuff on the shelf. That's kind of died down in the last couple of months. I'm expecting another big wave of this because her um, movie, It Ends With Us, it's based on that book, is coming out this summer. Oh. The Fourth Wing and Iron Flame uh, by Rebecca Yaros. People cannot get enough of that. I actually read those and I mean, I'm, I'm the same way, so I get it. But <laughs> those are really popular. Of course, you know, James Patterson mm -hmm. is always popular. He has figured out the perfect formula, I guess, yes. to just keep checking those things out. We also have a pretty long wait list right now for the new Kristen Hanna, The Women. So her stuff goes out quite a bit, too. And I think it's just because it's like wholesome. Oh, okay. But this name sounds really promising. I love that you know so much about so many different genres. And you know what I'm thinking, Hannah? I'm thinking that we should do this every month as kind of okay. a book club situation where you could offer some recommendations. What are other people reading? What are you reading? What do you see as becoming popular before it vanishes from the shelves? Are you up for it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love this idea. This is fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Hannah. I really enjoyed talking to you and I'll talk to you next month. All right, thank you so much. That was Hannah Elliott, Adult and Teen Services Librarian at Jay County Public Library. Next up, Phil Hoffman learns how Muncie is honoring its very important volunteers. We're joined now by Dan Wolford, who is the president-elect of the Muncie Noon Rotary and is also in charge of an upcoming event called Viva. Welcome, Dan. 
Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So let's talk a little bit about Viva and what that is. If folks are not familiar with the event, can you explain what it's about? Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, Viva is an acronym standing for Very Important Volunteer Awards. It's really in a an awards luncheon at the at the end of the day. Um, it's something that has uh, that was created almost. This will be the thirtieth year, um, and it's done by in conjunction with both Rotary clubs here in town: the Muncie Noon Rotary Club, uh, which meets at Minatrista on Fridays, and then the Sunrise Club, which meets on Friday mornings at seven a.m. at the Knights of Columbus Hall. So, uh, those two organizations come together really to just have a nice event for folks in our community who go above and beyond and typically don't get, you know, acknowledged for it. And a lot of them probably don't want to get acknowledged for it. That's, that's part of being a volunteer. Um, but it's still important to, um, you know, showcase all the great things that happen in our community. Well, certainly there are lots of examples in town of cultural and arts organizations that rely on volunteers. I think about, for example, you're involved with one particular activity now as a volunteer that's a theatrical activity. Um, so many of our organizations here in town, not only the arts and culture organizations, but support organizations, everything else, really do rely on the work of volunteers. So what's what's the hope behind uh, an event like Viva? What are you trying to accomplish here? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. There's just there's no shortage of nonprofits in our, our area, as you know, and many of them, the, the lifeblood is volunteerism. So um, I'm hoping that we will have, and we, and we normally don't have a, a problem getting nominations each year because um, there's, there's a lot to choose from. There are a lot of organizations, and this is a very giving community. And I think basically what we're trying to do is just to honor people that are unsung heroes that typically wouldn't get honored. Um, and just, it's really a more of a feel good, uh, event. This is not a fundraising event. This is just something that is designed to, um, celebrate people who are selfless and give back. And that's why, um, the Rotary clubs came up with this because our motto, as you know, as a proud Rotarian is, you know, service above self. Well, certainly there's lots of examples that you could point to here in our region of uh, folks that have been instrumental as volunteers in their organizations. There's lots of organizations that rely on that. What is it about volunteering? I mean, obviously you're involved in, in, in a variety of things. What is it about volunteering that you find that people really find so fascinating that they get totally committed perhaps, to an organization as a volunteer? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to come back to your passion of what you're interested in helping. I don't think, I would think that most people who volunteer don't do it for their own reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of people like the feeling after you do, you know, volunteer with whatever. I think it's because you know that you're helping someone else. Um, there are certain things that I volunteer for that I don't even really consider volunteering. That are in, in fact volunteering. Um, I'm spending a lot of time, as you mentioned, at Muncie Civic Theater right now, volunteering to be in a show. I can assure you I'm not getting a paycheck. Um, I don't consider it volunteering because I have a passion for it and it's fun and it's my way of giving back. But I think the volunteering aspect too in the community comes back to people giving of their time and talent and maybe not their treasure. Not everyone has the funds or the means to just give money or write a check maybe their best way is to go volunteer. And, and then that's where they pick that and 
a certain organization because they also it also aligns with their talents that they can. We have uh, going back to I, this isn't really about Muncie Civic, but it's one that I'm very passionate about. We have lots of volunteers there. Are it's all over the board, and there's a lot going on there. And so we have a lot of volunteers in our costume shop, and it's essential, obviously, to performances there. That they don't just go look in a closet and pick out an outfit. I mean. It's a it's a major thing, and there's these ladies who spend a lot of their time and their talent in this costume shop, and it makes the shows that much better with the authentic costuming, and they don't miss a they don't miss a detail, and it's really improved over the years that I've been involved there too. So I think that just goes back to you know the time and talent aspect of it, um, and it, there's just so many different ways you can give back in this community, and that's why there there's really no shortage of volunteers and. Typically, in a, in a given year, we have a very hard time selecting the winners just because there are so many deserving candidates. Now, one of the things about any event like this, of course, is that you're always looking for sponsors to help out uh, in the acknowledgement of volunteerism. You also need folks to come in and help fund part of the event. So talk a little bit about what the opportunities are there if someone's interested in sponsoring the event. Sure. Not, you know, a little bit different than other events in the community. This is not a fundraising event. This is an event strictly to acknowledge and celebrate these volunteers. So because of the event aspect of it, obviously a cost comes with that. So uh, the two Rotary Clubs split the cost of the event. Any sponsorship dollars that we can raise just help on the burden of you know those expenses. So um, a lot of times the sponsors stem from who are the people that are nominated, to be honest with you. Um, we don't know that yet. And once the people that are the winners that have been nominated, some, a lot of times we reach out to their employers or what, the places that they're connected to, or maybe it's the place that they volunteer for um, to see if they would be interested in sponsoring. And, and sponsoring doesn't just have to be um, a check to sponsor the event. It could also be buying tickets to a table to attend in order to support that individual too. So it's really, um, at the end of the day, just the sponsorships help us cover the cost of the event so that we can continue to do it. The Rotaries, we don't have really a way of making money. So we, you know, we have a little bit of an endowment here at the uh, Community Foundation uh, that we normally give just for our uh, grants every year. But to have extra events like this, um, we, we sometimes need help from the community to get that done. So again, it's everybody lending a little bit of a hand uh, yeah, to make things it's good, happen. It's a great way of looking at it. Um, and it is. It's a community event. Um, and a lot of times the winners and the, uh, of these awards, it's very eclectic mix all over the board. And sometimes, and that does help us get more people in the door. Um, and usually it's a pretty neat mix of people that come to the event. It's not just Rotarians. Mm -hmm. um, it is open to the public. A lot of our Rotarians will go to support that. But then as the nominations and the winners are selected, you get a, a, a really neat mix of all the people from the organizations that are, are the winners. So when and where is the event? And if somebody listening now is interested in attending, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, sure. April 16th, it's a luncheon. It'll be at the Convention Center, Horizon Convention Center. Um, and so that's a Tuesday, April 16th. Um, and it's a luncheon, so it starts about 11.30. It'll go till about 1, maybe a little after. But all the information that you, can, that you need to find out about Viva is right on our website at muncierotary.org. Um, and that's where you can find information about sponsorship. You can 
There's a link right there to our Eventbrite page to purchase tickets. Tickets are $30 in advance. It might be a little bit more the day of. Um, but it's. I think all the information that you would need would be found right there at MuncieRotary.org. And if not, you can reach out to someone um, at Muncie Rotary, and they would be happy to lead you in the right direction. Well, Dan, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. It's a big event coming up here in April. Viva to honor the spirit of folks who spend a lot of their time volunteering for organizations here in town and making an impact in our community. Yeah, it's it, we just really have, Delaware County's had a really proud volunteer heritage over the years, and this is just to kind of highlight that on an annual basis. And it's, it's really a feel-good event, and we hope to have uh, as many people in attendance as possible. So thanks for having me and uh, spreading the word. Great. Thank you, Dan. We appreciate it. We'll see you in April. Yes, sir. IPR's Phil Hoffman talking to Dan Wolfert, president-elect of the Muncie Noon Rotary. Every two years, Indiana chooses a poet to represent poetry in the state. This year, Curtis Chrysler began his term as Indiana's Poet Laureate. Chrysler is a native of Gary and currently teaches at Purdue Fort Wayne. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Ella Abbott spoke with Chrysler about growing up in Indiana and how it's impacted his writing. Well, Curtis, welcome. It's nice to be here. Um, I want to start by congratulating you on being selected as Indiana's Poet Laureate. How are you feeling about that? It's been a whirlwind. My life has changed uh, so much in the sense that I'm kind of a low-key person. Not anymore. Uh, so I've been on uh, TV and just to get through emails and texts and phone calls has been crazy. And I'm still teaching. So it's kind of like I have to teach too. I'm not a morning person <laughs> and everything has to be in the morning. So then they're taking pictures and I have bags under my eyes and I don't feel like I just got three hours of sleep. And it's like, OK, we'll do this. Yeah, it's 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 kind of cool, you know, to represent poetry for the state. And what was the selection process like for you? Uh, this is my second time going through it. The first time I went through in 2020, they they got the questions to you. And then uh, if they liked the questions, you went on to another round. It was still that. But this time they had a Zoom. And I'm looking at like 15, 20 people. And it's like, wow, uh, okay. And everybody gets to, you know, ask questions and stuff. It was cool. I thought I flubbed the last question. So I was trying to get it out of my head. So it's like, oh, I flubbed the last question. So it's over. And I talked to a, a friend of mine who was on the panel. And she's oh, you'll be okay, whatever. And then I started detecting, what does she mean by that? And then the director had said, well, I, I want to have a call with you. I want to do a Zoom call with you. And I was like. Okay, so then the internal stuff started coming. So I, I just wanted it out of my head. And then we had the meeting and she said, well, you're going to be the next Indiana Poet Laureate if you so please. And I was like, yeah. In a 10 year period where uh, my friend, my colleague, my mentor, George Calamaris was that. I don't know of any school that had two Poet Laureates in it. So that's really, I think unique and hopefully he says something about our program on your poetry i had a chance to read tough boy sonatas mm -hmm. which paints this really interesting picture of young boys growing up in gary can you tell me about the inspiration for that book and how growing up in indiana has affected your writing well that was my thesis for grad school it was the first time i had i was in a place where i could just write 
and focus on that. Although I you, you had to teach two and take two classes, my my writing process is chaos in a sense. And um, when I get down to addressing stuff, I just get so focused that I drown out all the white noise because I'm focused on what I'm writing. In that place, I was able to do that for a long stint. So it was really a powerful time. I don't know how I got to the first image, but I just started thinking about where I came from and coming up with images of my mother getting us out of the projects. And I think uh, with Leroy, that poem addresses that where she saw she saw me spick and span or something like that. She saw me clean and she didn't get us out just because of me. But in the poem, it goes that way. And she and she got us out because she want, she saw something in us, you know, but it's it's showing that trajectory of going from the Delaney projects to the suburbs. Related to that is that a theme that I've noticed in your poetry is mm-hmm. is sort of like odes to mothers. Um, can you tell me <laughs> about like what makes you write so passionately about moms? <laughs> well, it's always about my mother. I think it's um, I'm trying to think. One of the books George gave us, and the author says the voice that he hears in his head is the voice of his mother. And that's the voice that's in my head all the time because I remember a time with my mom before my sisters came. My mom is just there. Her voice is in my head. I'm saying stuff that she says sometimes to my class or classes and I, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I sound like my mom right now, you know. And I, I I don't think I can get away from it. It's it's so weird. So many people know my mother because I talk about it because she's such a fabulous person and a character, so to speak, um, that they know my mother before they even meet her. And, and so when they meet her, they're like, oh, so you're the one Curtis is always talking about. So she's just this this shining star in my life, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. She's always been there. And so, yeah, that's just the voice that's in one of those rooms in my head. (laughs) In Dreamist, a recurring theme throughout Mm -hmm. the main character's story is death. His grandparents die early in the book. He contemplates the loss of friends from home. Mm -hmm. And at one point, he does consider like his own death. Yeah. What made you want to ruminate on that in that story? It was weird because there are so all the poems are so disparated in the way that they are in and of themselves. But I brought them together for Malik, and I wrote this story around Malik. So when he gets to uh, Southern California, and he opens up his he he's unpacking and he finds the the um, the uh, portrait book. He just starts, all the images start running back to him. And through those images, that's how he's writing the poems. So that book has the, you know, the prose and the poetry. And so I'm trying to fit, I tried to fit that together as well as tell a narrative of his story. And I think what just, what happens is I I never thought about death a lot, but death is always around me. The new book has a lot of 
life and death in it. So I think I, I'm trying to answer questions for myself or trying to get to questions. We always address life, life, life. We never think of death as, um, when we think of death, we shroud it in this shadowy darkness. In both Dreamist and obviously more specifically Don't Moan So Much, Stevie, mm-hmm. there's call-outs to some great musicians. What's been the impact of music on, on your life and then ultimately your writing? The the reason that uh, Don't Moan So Much, Stevie came about was um, Michael Jackson died. And I was like, wow, Michael has been... Michael and the Jackson Five have been, or J Five have been, a soundtrack to my life. Then I thought about Stevie. Then I thought about Motown, because I tell people when you know what kind of music you like. I never say Motown because Motown is a default. It's always been there. Uh, so I'll mention everything else, and they're like, "What about Motown?" <laughs> it's a given. Motown was there. So I didn't think anyone had written anything about Stevie. And I wanted to write something about him before he passed. And then it was another aspect of writing about uh, what I call urban Midwestern sensibility in uh, Detroit. How Detroit had this from the late 50s to the early 70s. Basically, you're making cars. And when the cars come off the line and people turn on the radio, they're turning on Motown. So the aspect of what Detroit was is still to a certain extent, but it was a conglomerate to uh, the African-American experience in that sense. And I I thought that was really powerful. So I have like the poem where uh, Barry Gordy is talking, you need to be Stevie, you need to do your Stevie stuff. And, you know, and I just took out all my Stevie uh, CDs and read everything in the, liner notes and stuff like that and looked up certain things and found out these certain things about them. And then I just started thinking about practical things. What would it be for someone who's blind to visit their cousins or something like that? And how would that be when you're in the house? You would hear sounds that you're not used to, the house settling or whatever it is, the commode or whatever it is. And trying to get in his head and and address that. So Stevie's in his house for the first time, staying with his cousins, and they just go to sleep. But he's listening, and he's picking up these sounds. And they say Stevie has uh, synesthesia. And so I say Stevie sees the notes, and the notes are his friends. And to the extent where he's actually like just playing with them, you know, and then he's like, hey, fellas, what? Why don't we do this? And you get over there, you get over there, you get over there, and it becomes, isn't she lovely? And, you know, it's that kind of thing, how he sees music, how he hears music, how he plays music. And so, yeah, so the whole thing came about after uh, Michael passed, and then, yeah, it was just kind of wanting to do something to honor that aspect of that soundtrack to my life. In your work, Mm -hmm. you discuss race and specifically being black in America Mm -hmm. in a way that is not shy at all. Mm -hmm. What do you hope people who read your work get to take away from those observations? Well, this is my life. It's not something I'm making up. It's a difference now for me when I get pulled over 
to be aware of what I do, how I do it, when I do it, how I talk, how I say things. Uh, it's a conversation that has been had for many generations. So when you look at Tough Boy Sonatas, it's said to be a lot of boys, but it's actually just me. So this is what I found out. With Leroy uh, and Tough Boy Sonatas and Malik and Dreamus, I had to give myself to those personas. So um, my name is Curtis Leroy Chrysler. Um, but my mother used to call me Leroy. And I said, so, so one day I did ask her, I said, my name is, is my name Leroy or Leroy? She said, it's Leroy, but it's Leroy when you piss me off. And I was like, oh, okay. So Leroy became the catalyst and persona for the book. Once I gave everything to Leroy, it it kind of veiled me. And Leroy took on everything. And then I can move, you know, move around and, and play around with that. And the same thing with Malik. The problem I had with Malik at first was... I was still holding on to the poems. These are Curtis Chrysler poems. And it's like, you have to give the poems to Malik. And once I gave them to Malik, again, uh, Malik just ran with them, what he did with the pictures, how he saw the pictures. And he just, I even changed the, um, there's a poem in there that I say is my, um, would be my eulogy. So most of, like I say, 90% of Tough Boy Sonatas is creative nonfiction and other 10% is just word magic uh, because it's just my life. And if you can't see my life or if you don't want to see my life, then you have a problem. There are black people all around us. <laughs> you know, there are white, Latino, Asian, everything. And if we're not paying attention to that, then that's on us. Yes, we can move to suburbs and different places and all that. You're going to come into connection with someone at some point. So why can't I tell my life like Samuel Clemens or, or, or whoever it may be? I have a life, too, and I just want you to see it. Well, Curtis, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. That was Indiana Public Broadcasting's Ella Abbott and our new Poet Laureate, Curtis Chrysler. Indiana Public Radio is an IPBS station. I'm Michelle Kinsey. I had a chance to chat with Muncie artist Amy Maycheck recently about her work, her love of nature, and her inability to stick with just one medium. Hi, my name is Amy Maycheck, and I tell stories through artwork. So, Amy Maycheck, what are you working on? Currently, I'm working a lot in lino cut, which is a lot like woodblock cut, but using pieces of linoleum. And been working a lot with that lately and going over to Tribune Print Shop. Uh, they've been helping out a lot and really trying to grow an art business. So maybe I can make this a full-time gig eventually. Nice. So what are the subjects of, of the work that you are currently doing? Uh, currently, I'm doing a really large piece um, of water tower. So I get inspired by things I see out and about. Uh, I do a bit of backpacking. Um, I also really like to uh, to walk, 
be out in nature. So the latest subject is the water tower out on Jackson in Muncie, uh, where the vultures rest in the evening to soak up the warmth of the water tower. Yeah. And it's like one of my favorite things um, to see is all those vultures kind of perching and circling. So that leno cut is currently in process. Um, You can see it on my Instagram and Oof, the detail of the trees at the base of the water tower are kind of making me grow cross-eyed at the moment, but it's going well. <laughs> so a little challenging, but that's good, right? Yeah, absolutely. I like a good challenge. I can't manage to stay still on a medium because I like to constantly be learning something new. Ah, tell me about some of the other areas that you work in when it comes to your art. I do some painting. Um, I recently finished a mural for Ball State over in the education psychology department. Um, I also do canvas painting, um, just starting to get into screen printing, which is actually kind of a subset of just printing in general. Um, And I'm going to go learn how to do stained glass next week and something I've always wanted to do and thought I'd give it a try. Uh, Some people in Muncie may know me uh, previously as the ethical taxidermy or taxidermist. Um, I had a studio space at Majax and would make uh, paper mache sculptures. Wow. So you're not really, you're not busy at all. You don't have a lot going on at all. No, no. Plenty of time. (laughs) Full-time job and art and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so where are you doing this work? Set the scene for me. What did, what is your studio like, Amy? Um, well, my studio is a spare room uh, that I converted into a space. I was actually joking this morning with a friend that I may have to move my studio if I get into glass making out into my living room uh, and turn my studio space into my TV room. But it's um, I recently redid it, so it's very kind of comfy, cozy. It's very white, <laughs> but I didn't want to distract from any other colors. Um, I've got my multiple lights set up. Uh, I do some recording for Instagram to try to boost up traffic to my website. And uh, besides that, it's filled with art supplies. Um, I think I'm personally keeping the Art Mart in business. (laughs) Uh, When do you find you are most creative? Uh, It comes in kind of fits and starts, but... Usually it it starts with an idea. I will get inspired by uh, seeing something in nature. Um, There was a beautiful sunset behind the water tower and that's what kind of tipped that over the edge. Um, I often walk my dog down by the White River and see the heron all the time. And I am always drawing those heron or carving them or do something along those lines. So it really starts with... uh, kind of seeing something and then it festers as an Mm -hmm. idea and eventually gets put down on paper. Yeah. So describe the last piece you completed. And then you were like, yes, this is finished. It's done. I love it. (laughs) Uh, The last piece, which has given me, uh, I love drawing. I love carving, but I am a messy printmaker. And I actually just wrote a blog about this. Um, but I was reassured that everyone is messy as a printmaker, so it's okay. I'm in good company. 
But the last piece is actually in the Minatrista show. Um, it is a crow standing on top of an axe in front of a wood pile. And uh, I really like the different textures of the way that one came out, the contrast between the brown background and the black crow. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's on point. I really like it. Oh, nice. That sounds really cool. Uh, when did you decide that, yep, I'm an artist. This is my jam. This is what I want to do. Uh, <laughs> probably when I was like five. Wow. Um, but I mean, I've been drawing, saying at the kitchen table drawing. Uh, my brother's an artist in New York. I've just always kind of done it as a, a side thing. And only probably in the past, like, Four years have I really been taking a stab at being more involved with my art. And really, actually, since December, I've been like, okay, yeah, I'm going to really see if I can make this hustle happen um, as an artist. Kind of a continual process. <laughs> and what makes you as an artist decide to take on all of these new mediums? I, I I know a lot of artists that kind of stay in one lane. They do one thing, especially if they're doing it professionally. But it seems like you're always looking for new ways to spotlight your creativity. Uh, I think a lot of art for me is problem solving. Hmm. And I like to figure out the solution to a new problem. And kind of once I figure out a medium, uh, then I'm, I'm good. Like, yeah, I can go back to that and play around with it. But I want to see, like, can I do this? Can I make this something that I'll really enjoy? And right now, I honestly think that the lino cut will probably last me a while. But, you know, I'll probably take glass making <laughs> next week and be like, nope, nope, now I'm doing stained glass. That's it. <laughs> Well, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, especially the nature and the backpacking and the hiking that you like to do. Uh, but what other things inspire your work? Um, I am a, uh, a queer artist. So I try to, a lot of my portraits and stuff are trying to show those queer images. Um, I think to put that in out there in the world because I, I don't think there's a lot of it there. And relationships, I think, also play a part. Uh, I do some zines um, mm -hmm. as well and have a graphic novel <laughs> that has been sent out to a couple publishing agencies. Wow. Um, and just life in general. I My website essentially says, you know, story through art. And that's what I really think all of it is, is telling stories. Absolutely. Covers all the bases, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And now the most important question, where can we find mm -hmm. your work? Uh, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> I have an, an Instagram at Chack Artist, C-H-A-C-K Artist, uh, but also a website, which is amymaychak.com. It's my name. So A-I-M-E-E-M-A-Y-C-H-A-C-K. Dot com. Um, I do have some work at Hall and Oates in town, uh, so some cards, and I have artwork up there right now. 
Wonderful. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing what you are working on. And I'm sure I could call you uh, next week and it would be something completely different. It'll probably, I'm sure you're going to be making something in glass or oh, sculpting yeah, yeah. or throwing a pot somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is yeah. something we need to do on a regular basis, Amy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. Let's take a look at just some of the arts and culture offerings this weekend and beyond. On March 2nd, laugh with Joe Gatto at Ball State's Emmons Auditorium. Best known for the show Impractical Jokers, Gatto says he lives his life by a code of pastry and family. I like that. Get your tickets at bsu.edu slash Emmons. Also, on March 2nd, spend a magical afternoon with magician John Mobley at Arts Place in Portland. $10 tickets and more information at myartsplace.org. That's M-Y-A-R-T-S-P-L-A-C-E dot org. Opening March 8th is Fixing Up, an award-winning comedy by local playwrights Jenny and John Marsh in the Casaza Family Studio Theater at Muncie Civic Theater downtown. A story about a shy guy who is accidentally fixed up with two blind dates at the same time. Of course, chaos ensues. Tickets and more info at MuncieCivic.org. If you have an event to share with Pop of Culture listeners, let us know at indianapublicradio.org slash popofculture. Pop of Culture on IPR is made possible in part by the Indiana Arts Commission, the Community Foundation of Randolph County, the National Endowment for the Arts, and by Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations. And that's our show and the end of my first show. Whew, I made it. Pop of Culture is produced by Luke Jones. Take a bow, Luke. It was hosted this week by me, Michelle Kinsey, and is a production of Indiana Public Radio on the campus of Ball State University.